the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter. Jesus said to the people, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce, but the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will be crushed, crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In that gospel reading for today, which is a continuation of our gospel reading from last week, which is therefore a continuation of a, of a hostile, confrontational series of questions and conversations Jesus has been having with the, the, the muckety-muck religious authorities in Jerusalem who've been upset with Jesus for a number of reasons, including the fact that he has been hanging around way too much with muckety-muck less sinners and losers, Jesus tells the story of a man who owned a vineyard but then leased it to tenants to manage and then when it came time to collect his share of the produce, the tenants he'd sent to collect the produce, the tenants saw them and, and said to the slaves, what are you talking about? This is our vineyard. And then they beat up the slaves, even killed a few of them. So the owner, apparently not buying the old adage that, that uh, the definition of insanity is making the same mistakes and expecting different results, the owner sent another batch of slaves and, what do you know, got the same results. And so the owner, some might say insanely, said, I'll send my son. They'll respect him. But they didn't. They killed him, and then said evilly, insanely, ha, now it's all ours. Jesus then said to the religious authorities, what will the owner do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and answer, 
which Jesus then turned in their faces upon them himself when he said to them that the wretches in this parable were they themselves and all the leaders of Israel who for centuries and centuries had ignored and abused and killed the prophets of God, God the true owner of everything, and instead acted like everything was theirs to do with as they pleased. In reaction to Jesus getting in their faces like that, the religious leaders wanted to arrest him, but the crowds all around made that not feasible at this time. Though parables, of course, aren't to be understood as literally true, this parable is true both as history and prophecy. It's true as history because for centuries the the messengers of God, the owner of everything, messengers who in the Old Testament were called the prophets, had been again and again and again and over again abused and ignored and in more than a few cases killed. But it's also true as prophecy because standing right in front of their faces now was the owner's son. And though they didn't get it done that day, it was only Monday. Come Friday, they would seize the son and put him to a miserable death. That image of a vineyard that the owner expected to get some return from wasn't an image that Jesus, in this case, in the course of constructing his parable, it wasn't an image he just took out of thin air. It was an image he got from the Bible. And the main scripture image he borrowed it from was our first reading for today from the first part of the book of Isaiah. That first part of Isaiah set some 750 years earlier than that Monday when Jesus clashed with the religious leaders of his day. Isaiah's vineyard words, like Jesus' words, are also symbolic except they're not symbolic with the symbolism of a parable. They are symbolic with the symbolism of a song, a love song specifically, about a love relationship that had soured, literally. Isaiah sings this song, he says, on behalf of a loved one of his who lovingly had worked to establish a vineyard. And then because vineyards, they take time. You don't just plant a vineyard crop in the spring and have grapes and wine in the fall. It takes time. And so this beloved, on behalf of whom Isaiah the prophet says he is singing, watched and worked and waited and worked and pruned and tended and grafted and guarded and worked for years till finally it was time for the harvest. But the grapes the vineyard produced were wild. They were bitter, they were sour, not sweet. And so said the prophet Isaiah, the owner of the vineyard, though he had lovingly invested so much in the vineyard because it did not produce the sweet fruit he loved and yearned for, decided that he would let it go to waste. Indeed, he would even hasten the process. He would actively lay it waste, breaking down the protective walls and hedges and watchtowers so that it could soon be overrun and devoured. 
at which point the prophet Isaiah, in a way that prophets are wont to do, then turned into the face of his hearers. O Israel, he said, you are the vineyard. Judah, he said, you are God's planting. For God, your God, was so much love planted and established and guarded and grew you, but God did that so that fruit might appear. The sweet fruit of justice for all and righteousness in all. But instead, Isaiah says, and you can read the rest of Isaiah 5 if you want to hear him say it yourself. Instead, Isaiah says, wealthy, greedy, rich, but self-absorbed, you are gorging yourself on the fruits of the vineyard while the poor cry out for justice for their share of the fruit of the vineyard only to find themselves not just ignored but robbed, abused, forced to the outside and trampled upon. So said Isaiah, did God now say, Israel, Judah, you, because of the bitter grapes, the sour grapes of greed and injustice and lack of concern for those who concern me the most, you, Israel and Judah, will be trampled upon and overrun. Some of us call it a fulfillment of prophecy. Skeptics, of course, prefer to call it a coincidence. A Buddhist or a Hindu might prefer to call it karma. But just a few years after Isaiah sang this song on behalf of God, his beloved, on behalf of the poor and the ignored and the abused and the trampled on, the northern half of God's vineyard, known at that time as the nation of Israel, was conquered and overrun by the Assyrian army. And a century and a half later, which is a long time in our book, but it's an eye blink in the books of the Bible, the remaining half of the vineyard God had planted, known at that time as the nation of Judah, was conquered and overrun and laid waste by the Babylonian Empire. And the walls of the Judean city, which King David had made God's vineyard's capital city, Jerusalem, its walls were destroyed. And the temple in the city built by David's son Solomon as the dwelling place for God on earth, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And everything in it was either plundered or torn down or burned to the ground. But even so, Isaiah would go on to say, to be heard by those with ears to hear things like promises that are more powerful than coincidence or karma or tragedy. Even so, Isaiah will go on to say, the destruction of the vineyard God loved would not be the end of the story for a stump would remain. And there would be life in its roots. 
And through it, that stump in the vineyard, one day visibly and fully alive again, one day would sprout life and grow and the sweet fruits of righteousness and justice for all people would at last be harvested. Which were it the season of Advent would lead us to Isaiah 11, which reads, A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being King David's father, and a branch, a branch of life, shall grow out of those roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Which were we Christians? would lead us to Jesus. And Luke 4, when he began his ministry by accepting an invitation to preach at his home synagogue in Nazareth, and the text he chose to preach from was from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and then he preached a nine word long sermon today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing his next sermon in Luke was just a little bit longer In it, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, you will laugh. Blessed, in other words, said Jesus, blessed by God are those the world too often turns from, not toward with its blessings not those at the top of the world's watch towers, but those at the bottom, not those fortressed behind vineyard walls, but those kept out by walls with no walls of their own to call home. So, It's increasingly hard to do this, but I do not step into the pulpit to commingle church and state. I believe in and am grateful for their separation. I do not stand in this pulpit to politicize preaching. I will support particular people and parties and platforms on my own time. But I dare not stand in this pulpit as one whom you've called to preach not the small potatoes of politics or partisanship, but the word of God. I dare not stand here and read texts like these and then not say that if any nation expects to be ongoingly blessed by God, if as Americans, for example, we want to pray, God bless America, land that I love, that is a perfectly fine prayer. Keep praying it. 
But we cannot expect God's continuing answer to be, yes, yes, I will. Unless when blessed, when richly blessed, we are not also proceeding to bear the sweet and good fruit of using the blessings God has given us for good, which is not just good for us, but good for others through us. And where should we find these others? Well, Isaiah said that God finds them by listening not to the world's boastful, but to the world's broken. Not to the world's tweets, but to its tears. And there, there amidst the world's brokenness and tears, says Jesus, there God sends God's Son. Not to plant a vineyard, but a cross. And darkness then would be as dark as darkness can get, but there would still be a light shining. And hate then would be as hateful as hate can get, but there would still be love loving. And sin then would be as sinful as sin can get, but there would still be forgiveness forgiving. And dead then would be as dead as dead can get, but come Sunday, alleluia indeed, there would be life rising. And from the stump of the cross would sprout the vine of Christ's church. Which I want to tell you would have nothing against, for example, America being great again. But whose mission would be to bear fruit, rich fruit, the rich wine from which would make love great again. Which, were we interested in a 26-word-long sermon, might sound like these words from the vineyard owner's son, spoken to his disciples just hours before his death on the cross. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them, they bear much fruit. Love one another as I have loved you. Amen. 